Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. This is George. We appreciate your downloading us once again. We have Patrick back on the podcast with us this week, and we're going to be talking a little bit about training paces versus racing paces versus easy paces versus long run paces and all that sort of thing. So I look forward to hearing what you all have to say about that. If you want to write us an email about it afterwards, send me an email, george at itlcoaching.com. Send one to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com, or you can send one to both of us, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com, and we will look forward to that interaction. You can also check us out on our Facebook page and on Twitter. Speaking about things that you should check out on social media, on the 21st of February at 8 o'clock on the Blue Pineapple Travel Facebook page, there's going to be a Facebook Live event. Now, I've mentioned this event a couple of times, and I mentioned that Trek Travel was going to be having this uh, event with Blue Pineapple Travel in which they're going to be talking about all the different Trek Travel offerings and offering a special discount to all the Blue Pineapple Travel subscribers and people who book trips with Trek Travel through Blue Pineapple Travel. Um, Because of some scheduling issues, they decided to make that entirely a Facebook Live event and to move it to 8 o'clock rather than 6 o'clock. And so it's going to entirely be online. Um, And so that means it's going to be open to everybody around the world. Uh, Do be sure to tune into that on the Blue Pineapple Travel Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel. Again, it's on the 21st of February at 8 o'clock. If you miss it, it'll be recorded, so you're going to be able to take a look at it. But again, do tune into that so that you can see all the great things that Trek Travel has to offer. And and the exclusive discount that you'll get through Blue Pineapple Travel. With that, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. Patrick and I are fresh off of our first long run together in 2019. That's right. Here we are halfway through February, and you and I are just... And actually, we didn't go back and look in our logs, but but we were talking about this as we were running. It's the first one we've had in a little while, because I did Philadelphia in November, you did CIM in December, so we're kind of on different pages there. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a little while, man. It is. And we should also clarify, it's our first long run together at Kennesaw Mountain. We did a few in, in Roswell. Yeah. But yeah, it was almost like, a, you know, going back to an old friend or kind of an old routine You that kind of makes the week better. Right on. Gets the week started off on the right foot. Ditto, man. I feel the same way. Yeah. And, and uh, it's worth mentioning also, since you said that we're at Kennesaw Mountain, uh, we went out and ran at Kennesaw Mountain. And, and I had talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago during the government shutdown, of course. Uh, Kennesaw Mountain could not be maintained by the National Park Service since the National Park Service is one of the things that suffered from the shutdown. Um, and I went running with another ITL coach, Chris Nasser, on the first day the park was open following the shutdown. And you could tell the trails needed some love. Yeah. Um, there was water running through the trails. There's a lot of sticks everywhere, things like that. Um, and big shout out to the Kennesaw Mountain uh Park Rangers um, and to the to the Kennesaw Mountain Trail Club, the advocates that meet there the first uh, Saturday of every month to help clean up, because uh, they've done a really not phenomenal job. Um, it's been three or four weeks, I guess, since uh, since I did that that two hour run out there with Chris Nasser, um, and then you and I went out there today. And there's a couple of spots along there that um, that just look profoundly better than they did mm-hmm. right after the government shutdown. So yeah, um, 
so big shout out to uh, to the folks who, who take care of those trails that, that we love and that we run on and we got to run on for the first time in a long time today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Patrick's getting ready for Boston Marathon. That's right. About 12 weeks out. So it's Less than that, man. You're like eight weeks out, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. What did I say? To eight, eight weeks out. Um, uh, so it, it's getting kind of towards the end here, getting a lot of the, the long two and a half hour runs in. So I'm excited. It's, you know, it, it's become a tradition for me to do Boston every year. It, it's a fun race. It's one I do every year to kind of celebrate, you know, this this gift of, of running that's kind of been in my life for so long. And so right on. I always get to run it and enjoy it without, you know, having the pressure of trying to PR or run a certain time. Right on. Very good. And then I'm, I'm now 11 weeks out from the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati. So... I'm looking forward to that. So anybody who's running Flying Pig, by all means, reach out and let's uh, let's let's compare notes about the course. Um, while we're talking about upcoming events, I should also mention that we have we've had several people reach out about um, the segment that we've talked about that we're doing for the first time in 2019 here. Um, and uh, I'm actually this tonight going to be reaching out uh, to uh, to someone who's going to be doing the Tokyo Marathon. Um, and and recording the first of those segments there, so looking forward to that. But we got the Tokyo Marathon. We got a couple of people for Kona. We got Ironman Chattanooga. We got the Berlin Marathon. We got the Cruel Jewel Fifty. Um, we got Ironman Lake Placid. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody stepped forward and volunteered to talk to us about Ironman Lake Placid, which I'm excited about too. We're a very unique race and very very classic Ironman race. So um, thanks to all the folks who have reached out about that. I'm, I'm Really excited about that segment and look forward to talking to a lot of folks about the preparation they've done for various races. Um, but that's not our topic today. No, today we're talking about uh, training paces and how to determine your training pace you know, throughout your training cycle during training runs. So a lot of questions we get as coaches is you know, about you know, how do I know or how does a runner know that they're, they're training the right way? Right? We, we use terms like easy run, recovery run, medium long run, long run, etc. And you know, a part of, you know, doing those runs correctly is running the right pace, right? So, you know, we've often have a lot of folks reaching out to us via email, text message, et cetera, asking, you know, am I running too fast? Am I running fast enough? You know, I did this long run in this pace. Does that mean I'm ready for this marathon, you know, goal time, that kind of a thing. So we wanted to just talk about how we determine, you know, the appropriate training paces, for a training run or for the different types of training runs that we have out there because it's an important kind of ingredient to make sure you, you train correctly to make sure you are running at the right pace or at the right effort level. Right. And and so and what you just said there um, segues into, I think, at the outset here, a really important caveat um, or really important disclaimer. Um, and that that is this. Um, I often am getting on to athletes that I coach about getting too bogged down in their specific pace yeah. and looking at, at, at very precisely, oh, well, this run needs to be at 8.12 pace or this run needs to be at 8.14 pace and, oh, it was 8.20 pace and that was too slow. Um, you shouldn't get bogged down in that level of pace. Um, uh, really, a lot of times when we talk about pace, pace is just an indicator of effort and what you're really talking about is effort. And we're probably going to circle back around to this idea a couple of times here. Um, but um, but yeah, pace matters. The number matters, sure. But if you're getting too bogged down in the number and you're ignoring how you feel and any other indicators such as heart rate or, or something like that, then then you're kind of taking the wrong approach. So, so yeah, we're going to be talking about pace numbers today. But at the same time, we don't want to send the message that you need to be really paying super duper close attention to exactly what your pace is on every single run. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, not at all. Um, 
And I would I would say too, it's it's very easy to uh, kind of get bogged down in the numbers as, as we've talked about before, right? I think there's an old saying, what's get what gets measured gets valued. Mm-hmm. I believe in business, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same happens with runners, where you know we can measure how fast we're going, how hard we're going, but it's hard to measure what our actual effort level is, right? Because mm-hmm. it's hard to measure how much fatigue we're carrying into the run. You know how hilly the terrain is, how hard it's raining outside, how hot it is, those kind of the things. So it can be very um, tempting to, you know, be bogged down in the numbers. But that's why, you know, today we're going to talk about this as well as, you know, it, it's not so much about finding the right right pace as much as finding the right range. But right. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Right. So okay, so quick digression on what you just said, and since Patrick's back, that gives me license to digress, which I know everybody's really excited about, especially me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but that idea that you just said, what gets measured gets valued. I think that that has real consequences um, yeah. in all fields, not just in business, but, but certainly in exercise physiology and exercise and training, um, and even in education, which is my other field, right? So, so consider, consider um, an education, and everybody's familiar with this because pretty much everybody has kids in school or knows people in schools or something else like that. Um, but over the course of the past 25 or 30 years, there's been this real push towards standards and accountability, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, and, and in particular, there's been a real push towards testing. Um, and, and we have tried to measure the efficacy of schools and specifically of teachers by using test scores, right? Let's see if we can measure what it is a teacher does um, and and potentially even reward the teacher based on what a test score actually is. Um, but there's certain things that you can't test. Right. Um, and there's certain things in every class that you can't test. Um, um, you, you can't test how, how a teacher makes somebody feel and, and um, uh, where a child might have been had it not been for the empathic approach of a particular teacher. Um, but there's also things that you can't test um, like in art classes and in music classes and in recess and things like that that are super duper important but since we're not measuring them they're getting cut from school programs because they're not able to be tested right. do you see what i'm saying yeah and so 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 that idea of what what can be what what is measured is valued i think is potentially a very dangerous idea so Circling back around though to exercise physiology i think the best ex- uh, example in exercise physiology is a lot of like the metrics that you can look at on your Garmin watch, some of them really aren't all that important. Right. <laughs> um, cadence is the one I always think of the most. Mm-hmm. So, so cadence gets a lot of attention. Um, and, and a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, if you really want to be running well, you have to run 180 steps per minute. Um, not really. Um, people vary between 165 uh, steps per minute and 190 steps per minute. Um, and, and what's more, as you run faster, your cadence tends to go up. Um, and so if you're trying to, and I, I see people using like metronomes and things like that, mm-hmm. um, trying to get exactly that magic 180 number and they think that that's somehow going to be fantastic. The reason, One of the reasons why that's gotten in there, uh, gotten in everybody's head is because we've gotten to a place where with technology we can measure cadence. And so people are, have become convinced that, oh, it's such an important metric. It's not all that important. It's just that we can measure it. And so we've convinced ourselves it's important because we can measure it, you know? Um, uh, same thing with um, there was something else. Oh, I think probably the best classical example of it is is the whole pronation versus supination paradigm in in footwear. It's a great right? example, yeah. And so so in the early 1990s, we started really building shoes based upon pronation and supination. Everybody's like, okay, this is 
and and there's still a degree to which we're like, okay, this is the 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 basis on which you need to determine what shoes you're going to wear. Does your foot pronate? Does it over pronate? Does it under pronate? Does it supinate? Like like that's how you should you should determine what footwear you need to wear. And the reason why we got so hung up on that is because we could observe it, we could measure it, and so we said, okay, that matters. If we would have been able to, to, to observe or measure something else, we would have made that the paradigm. Um, and, and what a lot more research, and, the, and frankly, inside the shoe industry right now, um, there's a move away from supination and pronation as, as being the primary determinant of which shoe is appropriate for you. Um, so anyway, I, I feel strongly about that what gets measured gets valued thing. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> and so, so, um, so, so yeah, anyway, I, I didn't, I didn't want to let that go by here anyway. All right. So keep going. So, yeah. So, um, I don't remember where exactly we were, but right? it, it's, it's easy to, I, I think our kind of one kind of offshoot or kind of one overarching point of this digression was that, you know, it, it's easy to be, become obsessive over metrics exactly. when metrics are simply there to, um, measure, you know, uh, you know, other outcomes, right, or other inputs, yeah. right. Yeah. The metric isn't the purpose. The, yeah. the, you know, the metric is simply supposed to it's supposed to describe, not prescribe your, exactly. your training. No, I, I think describe, not prescribe. Um, it's a guide post, not a hitching post. Right. Um, I think I think those are good ways to think about it. So where do we start? So let's start with kind of the difference between training paces and race paces, because I think this is one of the things where. You know, this is one of the distinctions a lot of people maybe get confused by, and understandably so. So to, to backtrack a little bit too, so within our ITL coaching group, we always tell folks, you know, with workouts and stuff, we tend to describe, you know, what pace to run by saying, you know, run a 400 at mile pace or 5K pace or 10K pace or tempo pace mm-hmm. or easy pace or long run pace. And we kind of couch it into, you know, language based around effort and around race effort specifically for like 5K, 10K, etc. So a lot of folks then take that to mean, okay, well, if if we're, I'm at the track and George says, you know, run eight four hundred at five k pace, you know, my five k PR four years ago was this, so I should run these eight hundreds at this pace. Right. My my five k PR four years ago was eighteen thirty six, which is six minutes per mile, mm-hmm. and so ergo, that's three minutes per eight hundred. I should run all of these in three minutes. Right. But a training pace is not about what you've done in the past. And it's also not about your goal either. It's not so much about my goal, you know, 5K pace is this. It is where are you right now in this training cycle, right? As opposed to race pace, which is more like your, your PR or maybe even your goal, depending on how you want to you wanna frame it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first distinction, right? You know, you can't really... I, th- I think where I see a lot of runners really start to, to, to mess up or kind of uh, trip on their own feet, so to speak, is... They'll come to me and they'll say, all right, I've been running for a year, two years or so. I'm a 315, you know, marathon. I want to qualify for Boston at 305 or something. And so then they want to start doing their training runs as if they're at that that Boston qualifying right. time already. Right. Right. And it, you know, it, that's, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you almost, you have to, to be the man, you have to beat the man, right? <laughs> to, to kind of use those race paces or those kind of goal paces you know, as, as your training pace, you need to first kind of meet that goal, you know, raise to that level of physiological capabilities, and then you can start to say, all right, my 5K pace is this, or my 10K pace is this, et cetera, and then kind of adjust from there. But I think that's the first distinction is that when we talk about training paces, what we really mean is we're trying to describe where you are you currently, you know, physiologically for this particular training cycle at this particular point in time. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I do think it's very commonly misunderstood. Um, and so, so I'll add a couple of quick things about it. Uh, the first thing is to say that this can vary mm-hmm. and it does vary. And so if you were to do um, uh, eight, you know, what, what was the workout, the, the sample workout you mentioned a second ago, five 800s? Yeah. So five 800s at 5K pace. Um, if you were to do five 800s at 5K pace, um, when you are 12 weeks out from your target race and, and, or better yet, when you're 18 weeks out from your target race and you're just coming off the holidays and you're just coming off a recovery period and all that sort of thing, you would run those slower than you're going to run them. If you were to do them three weeks out from your target race, when you're pretty fit and and you're at your race weight and, and you're ready to roll, like you can expect that time to be faster as you get fitter, even though from an objective sense, it's only 15 weeks later. And so even inside a particular training cycle, the pace for the same workout can change even if the pace prescription does not change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one thing that's important to kind of keep in mind. In cycling terms, what this means is that your your functional threshold power, your FTP, which is so big in cycling, that changes throughout the course of a training cycle. Your FTP might be 180 um, when you are just coming off a break and you haven't done a whole lot of hard training and all that sort of thing. Um, and you need to be basing your workouts on 180 watts FTP. Um, when you get later in the training cycle, you've done more workouts, you're fitter, you're stronger, um, you will be able to, to raise your FTP up to 220 or something like that. And you will get stronger and, you, and your workouts will therefore be more powerful. Um, and so even though you're inside the same training cycle, yeah. and I think that's important to keep in mind. The other thing that I'll say about it is that I often say to people, um, when I give you that workout, 5800 at, at 5K pace, which would be a hard workout, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I give you that workout, 5800 at 5K pace, that means if you were to right now run a 5K, that's 5K pace. And by right now, you mean right I mean, now this at very moment, 5.45 a.m. Yeah. at Lakeside High School, right? In, in this weather, on this track, mm-hmm. right, given whatever it was that you did last night, yep. uh, training-wise, however it is you slept, whatever your, 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 your current fatigue levels are, it means literally, if rather than saying, hey, do 5 by 800, I said, we're doing a 5K race right now. That's the pace we're talking about running. Um, and so it's weather. It's fatigue. It's it's where you are in your training cycle, as we've talked about at great length here already. Um, it it's it's terrain. It's all of these things put together. Um, and this is kind of circling back to the caveat at the beginning. This is the reason why we always say five k pace, and it's a range. It's not always going to be this precise number because it's going to be different depending on where you are in your training schedule, depending on how much fatigue you're bringing into the workout, depending on the weather, depending on the terrain, depending on all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you bring a good point too, which kind of leads into a, a second key point we want to make when they're talking about training paces. So we talked about the difference between training pace and race pace, right? The second kind of part of that is that when we talk about training paces, we we like to prescribe a, a range of paces, right? Because it's it's not an exact science. Mm-hmm. It's you know if you run an eight sixteen instead of an eight twelve, it's it's not going to be you know it's not going to you're still going to get the same benefits from the workout, right? right? Um, but the entire purpose of, ha- of kind of having a, a goal pace is to really just set a metric or set some parameters around the effort that you want to exert. Right. Cause really, cause when we're training, the goal is not to hit a certain time necessarily. It's not to hit a certain pace. It's really to kind of, you know, uh, 
tap into you know a physical stimulus which right. will cause your body to react in a certain way right. which will eventually lead to growth for your a race right so that's kind of the the overarching point of of all training runs so with that kind of frame of mind or that framework when approaching any training run then you realize okay the goal is not to hurt hit a certain pace necessarily right the goal is to hit, hit a certain effort range or effort um you know per, a given prescribed effort the problem with effort is it's kind of a dark art or it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of an abstract thing, right? If someone says, well, run at 5K effort, even for seasoned runners, it's a little hard, right? Especially if you're coming, if you're running after work or if you're running super in the morning and you have other things on your mind. And so that's where training paces can really help kind of hone you in and say, okay, knowing what we know about you, knowing what we know about your history, knowing what we know about your personality, here's the range that you would probably need to hit in order to have this effort level. Right. Right. And I think a lot of times, a, a lot of runners, and I, I know I can certainly fall into this, you know, we always want to do our best, right? We're, we're, we tend to be very driven creatures. You know, we tend not to be very sedentary. We tend to be people that like to do things, you know, to our best and kind of optimize and continually push the envelope. But when looking at training paces and training pace ranges, if you're falling at the, the low end of the range, that's certainly okay. Mm-hmm. Even if you're just missing a little bit of it, that's certainly fine. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hitting on a, a few key points here, but I think the big one here is that when we're thinking about training paces, it really is just a metric or a set of parameters around, you know, here's where we think this effort level would fall for you right. to try to provide some level of certainty so you're not kind of out on your own, um, just kind of running through the woods not knowing exactly what, what you should be doing or if you're doing it right. Exactly. It's a guide post, not a hitching post. Yeah. Um, you know, every, every good coach, if, if, if you ask them for, uh, you know, what pace should I try and run these? Every good coach will give you a range. Mm-hmm. You know, you should try and run these between three minutes and three ten. Um, you should try and run these between seven minute pace and seven twenty pace between yeah. 10 and ten thirty pace. And any good coach is going to give you that range. And I'll take it a step farther. Jack Daniels, very well-known coach, not the whiskey, but the very well-known coach. Uh-huh. Um, he's the one who pioneered VDOT pacing um, and uh, uh, has won multiple NCAA championships. But um, he's the part of the Run Smart Project, for those of you who might be familiar with that. But um, he he always says, okay, here's your range, and I want you to be in the lower end of that range. He always says that the goal should be to run as slowly and easily as possible inside of that range. Mm-hmm. And so if your 5K range is 6-minute pace to 6.20 pace, he says you should be trying to run 6.20 pace. He said you shouldn't try and run 6-minute pace. He says because 6-minute pace is going to make you overtired and it's not going to give you any bonus benefit. Um, whereas you can run 6.20 pace, still get that benefit and not get as tired as you would be at 6-minute pace. Um, and so, so he actually advises his athletes to purposely go for the, the slow end of the range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here's another reason I like that too. Um, when when looking at the marathon or or, or an Ironman, it's an efficiency game. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's not about killing yourself in a given workout or a given moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's really just about increasing the efficiency with which your body moves through space. Mm-hmm. And that you know that way of looking at things, that kind of approach towards training paces and and training efforts, really helps kind of hone in on that point because you're saying, look, you're not trying to blow through a brick wall here mm-hmm. you know with this training run you're trying to just increase the amount of time you can you know be on your feet and moving through space at mm-hmm. this particular range mm-hmm. 
And and so last thing I'll say about this, and then we'll probably move on to your next sub point. There are times, particularly in bike, um, in, in bike workouts, um, where I will say your goal for this 10 by one minute workout or your goal for the hill repeats on the bike here is the best average that you can hold for all 10. Mm-hmm. And, th- and, and that might make it sound as if it's, it's imprecise and doesn't have anything in mind. Um, in fact, um, if I were to really give you a pace for that, the pace would be like mile pace, but you don't race a mile on a bike. And so it's, so, so it's, it's a little bit tricky. Do you know what I mean? And, and, um, and if you say, all right, I want it to be about 130%, which is about what it would be 130% FTP. If you're actually going out and doing hill repeats on, uh, on your bike, um, and, and you're keeping your eye on your power meter like that, you're going to wreck. <laughs> right. And so, so, so a lot of times, um, lest any of my athletes are listening to this being like, what the hell, George, you just told me to go as hard as I can for all 10. That's why. And so, 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 so there's method to the madness sometimes in the way that we phrase things. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that, um, this sort of thinking is not still going on. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I think another, a good, you know, point to think about as well is that in many ways for most of our runs i would say outside of like a vo2 max workout so to speak or like a very quick track workout or intense track workout Mm -hmm. for most of our runs the training paces is more of a governor or a limit more so than a floor right Mm -hmm. like you're not saying all right you need to run your long run at least this fast usually Mm -hmm. usually what it is is it's saying look don't go faster than this yeah and I think that's an important distinction for a lot of people because, as we talked about before, for a lot of different sports, it's the opposite approach. You need to be at least this tall or at least this fast or at least mm, this that's interesting point. whatever. But for us, the training pace a lot of times is almost saying, like, don't go faster than this. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll you'll wreck your legs, not train them. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think that's definitely true for, for, for easy runs and, and for long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely true um, that... that um, yeah, far more than, far more often, if, if, if an athlete asks me, and I've had athletes ask me, and, and I oblige, um, if, if an athlete asks me, hey, what pace should I do this? I, I, I will tell them. Um, and I, I, there's one athlete that's listening right now that knows who she is that, that, that asked me very specifically for paces on all of her workouts, and I gave them to her. Um, but if an athlete doesn't ask me for that, I, will, I, won't, I won't give them a pace range. I'll say it should be at this 5k effort, easy effort, steady effort, all that sort of thing. But what I found is that when I do actually give athletes a pace range, um, it tends to be slower than what they would want to be doing on their own for easy runs and long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, like an athlete that, that goes out and runs 820 pace for their long runs, they're like, okay, can you give me the pace I'm supposed to run for this? I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to run nine minute pace. Um, and they're like, wait, that's slower than what I'm running now. I know mm-hmm. you need to be running your long run slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's an interesting point, what you say about, uh, relative to other sports, other sports, it's usually like, okay, you need to be going at least this fast. Yeah. W- for, for us, particularly for, for easy runs and, and long runs, and it's, I more would about, even, it's more about slowing people down than speeding them up. Yeah. And I would even throw in medium long runs into mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. into that group yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about too, like, you know, just to kind of recap a bit, we've talked about the difference between like the training pace and the race pace, right? Mm-hmm. Training pace is where you are, not where you want to be or used to be. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how, you know, training paces really are just a metric to describe effort, mm-hmm. right? Effort is really what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the training paces kind of provide concrete, tangible, measurable metrics that you can use to gauge effort, which is 
kind of mushy Mm -hmm. or you know even Mm -hmm. for seasoned runners like you and i can be a bit hard Mm -hmm. sometimes especially at the quicker paces yeah especially if you're carrying a lot of fatigue especially if you're carrying a lot of fatigue yes and we've also talked about too how you know um the pace is a range right if you're and if you're low if you're at the lower end of a range it doesn't mean you're lesser than it doesn't mean you're doing minimal work it doesn't mean you're not going the extra mile you're still getting the same physiological benefits as if you were going five seconds a mile faster or, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we can talk about now, how do you, how do we tend to determine the best um, training paces for an individual runner or an individual athlete? Mm-hmm. And to, to answer it kind of broadly, the first thing we look at is really as many different data points as, as we can, or we look at several different data points, you know, to try to determine where an athlete should be on their training runs. Mm-hmm. One thing we look at is, have they done a time trial recently? Mm-hmm. Um, we often do a, a mild time trial on the track, you know, usually in January and then again, sometimes in the later summer, to kind of gauge where folks are and where their fitness level is. We can look at recent race performances um, and, and kind of also take into account how much training did they put into that race, how much, uh, you know, how much were they really kind of going for the gold in that race? Was that an A race versus a B race? you know, what was the, the race conditions, life, things of that nature. And then we can also look at just recent hard training runs, right? like fast finish, long runs, hard, long runs, long tempo runs, things of that nature. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that list, but we can look at kind of a, a few different points to start to determine where someone needs to be on their training runs. Yeah, no, I, I, I very much think that. I mean, a, a, a race is always, presuming that you're racing the race and you're not just jogging through it. Right. Um, a race is always the best indication because presumably during a race, uh, you're 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 turning yourself inside out in a way that you're not in training. Yeah. Um, just because there's uh, age group awards and everything else on the line, you know, and, and and PRs, and you want to do the best you possibly can, right? And so so a race is always the best indication, assuming that you're racing the race. Um, the second best indication is other hard workouts. Um, and I always um, am reaching out to various athletes that I coach and saying, hey, how'd this feel? How'd this go? Because I can look at the numbers, but if an athlete's like, yeah, this was really easy and it's a workout that was supposed to be hard, then that clearly indicates a higher level of fitness. And that means that we need to give you a better pace or, or a higher FTP or, or something else like that. Um, and so, so yeah, that, that, that qualitative feedback, um, I think, is super important. Um, most of the advanced athletes that I coach um, on the bike don't do FTP tests anymore mm-hmm. um, because they're really hard um, and and you have to kind of take time out of your schedule to taper form and then recover form. Right. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're like doing a 5K race um, mm-hmm. that you really want to target on and, and try and do well. Um, and, and so, so most folks I know who are really advanced don't really like to do them all that much anymore. They've kind of gotten to a place where they have a pretty good indication of what their, what their fitness is based on where they are. Um, right now in my own training on the bike, this is, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a marathoner, but I train a lot on the bike. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. Um, and, and, uh, right now I'm currently doing most of my bike workouts about 15 watts lower than I was doing them in the last month or so before the Philadelphia marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, but that's where it's supposed to be. Um, and I, and I, I didn't, I didn't set it 15 watts lower based upon a test. I set it 15 watts lower because I knew I'd lost some fitness 
And so I did a couple of workouts and I said, mm-hmm. okay, this is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm like, all right, let's put it there. And is there a lack of precision there? Yeah, there's a little bit of lack of precision there. Um, but I don't want to take a test. <laughs> I don't want to take the time to take a test right now. I don't want to suffer through a test right now. I don't want to spend the mental or physical energy to take a test um, to, to, to try and get the absolute precision right now. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. And I think you make a great point too where we don't need the precision of a surgeon, right, when looking mm-hmm. at these training paces. So we can kind of look at a few different data points and start to figure out, okay, here's the general range we need to be in. Here's here's kind of the, you know, here's, here's a range of, you know, what your easy runs should look like, tempo runs, et cetera. And it, it's not like we're trying to, you know, throw a strike right down the middle, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah, um, yeah. He's a bad sports metaphor. Yeah. I mean, everything's a range. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's and, and along those same lines, it also is something that, that changes on the fly. Like you talked about how, you know, you can receive feedback from athletes a lot of times saying, hey, this tempo run was easier than I thought it was, or I was zooming through it and I'm ready to go. I could have done another mile. Part of the the art of this too is if you're new with working with a new coach or you're, you're working with a new athlete, you know, there is a bit of an art to figuring out, you know, the particular um, idiosyncrasies of that athlete. For sure. Like for me, I can tell you if I were to plug in my, my race times or training times, my tempo time is much slower than those kind of calculators would generally say. Mm-hmm. Conversely, my VO2 numbers, much slower than what my track workouts would suggest. Mm. So, you know, that's also just simply to say that everyone's a little different, mm-hmm. you know, some people do have that that VO2 max engine where they can really kind of zoom around, you know, the track and do some fast 400s, mm-hmm. but then they may struggle on the tempo runs. Mm-hmm. Conversely, some folks may, you know, blister some tempo runs and then really struggle when trying to hammer out 200s or 400s on the track. For sure. Um, yeah, and side point to that, and then we'll get to you, to to your next major point here about about training paces and racing paces. Side point to that: if you are one of those people who can who can really zoom around the track and struggle with lactate threshold stuff, it means you need to do more tempo running and lactate threshold stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and vice versa. Um, and and where I always talk about with when people who self coach, um, every and everybody falls into this regardless of their of their level of of expertise. People who self coach tend to uh, make themselves better at what they're already good at mm-hmm. because they tend to, to like the stuff they're already good at. And so if they're, if they're really good at tempo runs, they'll do a lot of tempo running because they, they get a mental reward from doing that. And, and they feel like, okay, this is, this is what I, you know, this is what I like to do. This is where I feel good about it. And so I'm going to do it more. You need to train your, your weaknesses. And so they're never going to do that really high end, super tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a co- that a coach would tell them to do if a coach looked at their training logs and saw where they were lacking. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I, I think that we, we tend to want to do the thing that we're already good at, um, whether it's short repeats or long repeats, and it takes some discipline to really force ourselves out the door. Um, and some of us need a coach to make us do that. That's, that's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So... Um, to move us along to the final point, so we've talked about, you know, kind of the importance of, of finding a range and about how, you know, e- each run really has a purpose. And so you need to kind of find a specific range or hit a certain range to get the, the actual purpose of a run, mm-hmm. right? So now let's talk about how do we determine, you know, or what are some good metrics for determining a pace for the different types of runs that we have or the different types of runs that we prescribe or different types of workouts that we prescribe to athletes. Okay. And there are a few different rules of thumb. So 
you know, one, one minor point I want to make is, you know, we talk a lot about goal marathon pace, and that's a bit of a, a, a misnomer, so to speak, because, you know, we're talking we're talking about, all right, here's where the marathon pace we're, we're aiming for, here's where we think you'll be in, in 12 weeks, but it's, it's a bit difficult to, to gauge a marathon pay, race pace because it's just such a small sample size. It's not like a 5K or a high school runner where you can run a, a new 5K every week or every two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times we do base our, our, our training paces off of a goal marathon pace or like what's your most recent marathon pace mm-hmm. when training a lot of our, our athletes. So with that kind of in mind or with that kind of frame of mind, you know, we, we have, you know, several different kind of ranges we give for the different types of runs. So for example, for an easy run, I like to tell my athletes or for a recovery run, those need to be about one to two minutes per mile slower than your goal marathon pace. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of folks, that is, you know, a surprise. It can be even slower if you like, but that's kind of the, the general range we like to give for, you know, how easy the, the runs need to be. Now, once again, the over, overarching point is they need to be conversational they need to be so easy that you almost in the run feeling as good as you did to start the run mm-hmm. right with very little stress very little fatigue added onto your legs but that kind of just gives you a, gives our listeners a bit of a metric for just how slow we're talking about or just how easy we, we're talking about i shouldn't use the word slow um when you know engaging in easy runs for example yeah um and and again same caveat as we said before about terrain and and fatigue and weather right um and so you and i ran this morning kennesaw mountain um we ran uh, about two minutes slower than our marathon pace you Mm -hmm. and i did yep um and and we were on the high end of that range of that two minute range um because our marathon paces are based on flat asphalt courses (laughs) or you know mostly flat asphalt courses and we're running up and down hills um on a rainy day um on dirt right right and so so of course we're at the, at the top end of that range it when we were doing our our long runs uh, on the asphalt uh and it was more flat by the river when the when during the government shutdown when the trails were closed um we did we did closer to one minute slower than our pace right mm-hmm. and so but but still it was it was still conversational it was still largely an easier pace something that we could hold without much problem something where we were pretty much talking just as much at the end as we were at the beginning um Mm -hmm. where we we opted for the long version of stories because we had the time and and we had the energy right um and so so yeah um the bulk of your training um if you're training for long course races um and even if you're training for short short races um the bulk of your training both on the bike and on the run um, should be at that conversational, easy, below 80% pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you actually bring up another good point, too, when you mentioned the below 80%. So we've talked a lot about training paces, or like the, 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 uh, um, like the actual you know, t- pace time. But another metric you can use, and which a lot of folks in ITL use to, to measure effort, is heart rate, mm-hmm. um, which I know you are much more familiar with than, than me. So you can talk through a little bit about you know, how you've used heart rate in the past is kind of a metric for a few of the different types of runs. Yeah, yeah. Well, heart rate, though, okay, so so I'll say a couple quick things about heart rate. Um, heart rate, though, 
is the same as, as looking at pace that it's it's a guidepost, not a hitching post. Yep. Right. And so it's just yet another data point that you can use to indicate kind of where you are and where you need to be and all that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so, yeah, if you're if you're looking at your heart rate, um, that's great. Um, um, but again, it should not you should not use it as an excuse to run too fast <laughs> yeah. um, because your heart is low. Um, and the reason for that, and this gets into the second point about heart rate, um, is that your heart is actually really variable. Um, your heart rate is very sensitive to um, to fatigue levels and to any sort of like oncoming illness or anything else like that. Um, and so your heart rate um, is, is going to vary based on that. And it's not always going to vary uniformly. If you're carrying a lot of fatigue into a workout, you're actually going to have a hard time getting your heart rate up, even if you're working really, really hard, because your heart effectively is tired. Right. It's almost too tired to get right. moving. Right. Really. Exactly. And so so, so sometimes you might be looking at your heart rate thinking, oh, it's low because I'm really, really fit and I'm really working hard. But my no, it's actually because you're overtired. Um, and so, so, so heart rate data, you can't always... You can't always interpret it uniformly. It's not mm-hmm. like a low heart rate doesn't always mean the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. The third thing I'll say about about using heart rate as a metric um, is that it bounces up and down a whole lot um, if you're on hilly courses. Um, and so you and I both live in hilly areas. Um, you know, the metro Atlanta area is super hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you were to run based on heart rate, you would literally be sprinting downhill and you would be walking uphill. Uh, in order in order to keep your heart rate at the same place um and and when when heart rate monitors first came out in the early 1990s that's kind of what people thought they needed to do to use them is that that they needed to to keep like right in that constant place keep it right at 150 beats the entire time which right. meant that they were sprinting downhill and walking uphill um that's not effective on on a hilly course and so for a hilly course you would expect it to go up over 150 a lot you know, up to 160, 165, something like that. And then come down as you're going down a hill and then drop to 145, 140, 135 as you're going downhill. And that's okay. If at the end of the run, your, your, your heart rate averages right around where it needs to be on a hilly run, you're fine. You're good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah. But, but the, the vast majority of the training that you do, 80% of the training you need to do, uh, needs to be at, at, at 80% of your heart rate or, or, or less. Um, you know, it needs to be zone two or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's uniformly agreed to. Yeah. And even if you go even a little easier than that, so to speak, even easier than that one to two minutes, you know, um, slower, slower than, than marathon goal pace, you're still getting that aerobic development. Oh yeah. You're still getting the same or a lot of the same benefits as if you were to run one minute slower than goal marathon mm-hmm. pace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, to kind of bring a full circle here, once again, a lot of these paces are really more as a governor, mm-hmm. more so than like a, a, a floor, so to speak, or mm-hmm. a ceiling rather than a floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a guidepost rather than a hitching post. Right. Yeah. So I, 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 I've even gone so far as to tell people that you can make your easy runs and your long runs as slow as you want to make them as long as you're doing your strides at the end. <laughs> you know, because and because and, and people are really under the mistaken impression that, oh, well, if I'm trying to run a, a marathon at eight minute pace and I go out and run 1030 pace um, on my on my easy runs, regardless of the differences in terrain, regardless of the differences in, in fatigue levels, regardless of the differences in weather. Like if, if I run two and a half minutes slower, then then I'm going to make myself slower and I'm going to be unable to achieve on race day. And that's just not at all true. 
Yeah. Um, but but I think slowing yourself down to the level where you need to be is something that, that can be really, 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 really hard for, for for marathoners or for long course triathletes to really wrap their mind around. And and we've talked about this before. It makes logical sense. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. I understand the the idea that that, hey, how am I gonna run twenty six mile twenty six point two miles at eight minute pace? How am I going to prepare to do that by going out and running 18 miles at 9.30 pace? Mm -hmm. How does that make sense? I get that it doesn't totally make logical sense. I get that. (laughs) I really do. And I'm sympathetic for that. Um, You know, and we've had people push back against us. uh, And I have people push back against me about it all the time. But again, the purpose of your long run is to build endurance. and, And you're you're building endurance best by going a minute to two minutes slower than your marathon pace. On race day, you're not just relying on your endurance. You're relying on your lactate threshold, and you're relying on your VO2, and you're relying on your efficiency, and all of these other things that you also work on in different ways throughout it. Mm -hmm. Race day is not, for a marathon or for an Ironman, race day is not just a long training day. Despite what you know, some people might say. Mark Allen, famous brilliant Ironman triathlete, one time said that 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 an Ironman race is just a long training day, long catered training day. Mm-hmm. All right, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't for him either. Um, but that's just the way that he likes for his athletes to conceptualize it. I'm telling you, that's not a good way to conceptualize race day. Race day, everything all comes together. Mm-hmm. The only time that you are using every single one of your physiological systems is on race day. Um, and in your training, you're training each individual system um, in one way or another to be ready for race day. That's right. That's right. I, one of the kind of nightmarish emails or, or questions I might receive is someone will say, hey, I just did 20 miles at this pace. You think I'm ready to run that for the marathon? Ugh. And I'll say, guess what? You already had your marathon. <laughs> you're done. <laughs> yeah. um, and you... The way you put it, it was so eloquent in that you know each specific run we're trying to tap into or train a specific energy system: your aerobic base, your lactate threshold, your VO2 max, you know aerobic power. And on race day, that all comes together. But in order to kind of hit on those certain you know energy systems, you do have to run a certain pace. And by certain pace, I should say within a pace range, obviously. Right. Right. In order to kind of really build out your aerobic development, that is something that happens at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is something that happens you know, with small, tiny building blocks, so to speak, internally. It only happens by running slow for a very long period of time. Yeah. Um, if you if you rush your long runs, your your body almost starts bailing water, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? And kind of ends up, you know, using your, your lactate threshold, VO2 max, et cetera. That's not what you want. You want to stay within that, that, that specific range, that, that zone two range, so that your body builds up that specific system. Right. You know, I, I, I've talked before, um, and, and this is something that I talk about fairly regularly, um, and, and it plays out in various ways. But, but one of the, the core principles of endurance training is called the principle of specificity. Yep. Um, and the idea is that you're going, you need to simulate race conditions in your training. And I agree with that. Um, but I think that that principle can be grossly overapplied. Yep. Um, and I think that it often is. Because let's be honest. What is the most specific way to train for a 26.2 mile race at eight minute pace? The most specific way to do it is to run 26.2 miles every single day at eight minute pace. There you go, right? You can't do that. Right. You obviously can't do that, right? Okay, so, so let's make it a little bit less specific. How about 
three times a week you run 26.2 miles at eight minute pace. Can't do that either. Yeah. Okay, how about just once a week? Can't do that either. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so, so you have to ultimately kind of break it down to, okay, how can we make the training specific and, and adhere to the principle of specificity, but not also just wipe you out by over applying the principle of specificity. And when people are going out and running three hour runs or, or um, you know, 20 mile runs at their marathon pace, they're over applying the principle of specificity. Um, they're basically running their race in their training. Um, and, and that is setting you up for failure on race day. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of folks will find that comforting to know that they don't have to hit their race pace over and over again every week some people might I do <laughs> I, I know i certainly do yeah um, i i definitely do yeah no marathons hurt man i'm glad that i don't have to do that every week <laughs> good luck to the poor soul trying to do that right um yeah so it it, it as you said it, it's important to go into each race and know or excuse me each training run knowing or each you know training workout to know what is the purpose of this and then what range should i be hitting Right, so we talked about like easy runs, recovery runs. Those are about a minute or two slower than gold marathon pace. I would say long runs, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one to two minutes slower, maybe even two and a half, three minutes slower than than gold marathon pace. You know, medium long runs, I like to keep those within about thirty to ninety seconds slower than than gold marathon pace. But once again, if you do two minutes instead of you know ninety seconds, that's fine too. It's, I was gonna say my mine still stay pretty slow. It's certainly better to be too slow than too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, tempo runs for folks who are you know maybe maybe new to those, you know those tend to be about your one hour race pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know depending on how how fast you are or kind of what your race times are, that could be anywhere from you know five k, ten k, all the way up through you know ten mile half marathon if you're really booking. Right. Um, and then, of course, like VO2 max, that's a lot of things like mixing in mile pace, 5K pace, 10K pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Um, now, on, on that note, and as we're wrapping up here, um, we should also acknowledge that there, there's uh, widespread use of the word tempo pace mm-hmm. um, inside of, of the running community. And not everybody agrees to exactly what tempo pace is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most widely agreed upon definition is the one that you just used. Um, and it's, it's a proxy for lactate threshold pace. It's another word name for it. And it's the same as functional threshold power on the bike. It's something that you could hold for about 50 minutes to an hour for a race type effort. Yes. And so if you do it for two or three minutes, it's not gonna be all that hard. If you do it for 20 minutes, it's going to start getting hard. If you do it for 40 minutes, it's going to be profoundly difficult. Um, and so particularly if you're carrying fatigue into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's something that it's, it's something that you could race for about 50 minutes to an hour. Um, uh, if you're so, so, so that, that's very hard. Um, most notably Hanson's, um, which is, a, a, a group that I, I, I appreciate and I like their book, Hanson's marathon method and Hanson's half marathon method. They use tempo pace, um, to mean marathon pace. And I don't know why they do that. Yeah, to add confusion. Yeah, right. Um, and and, but but if you read their book, it says, oh yeah, you need to go out and run ten, 10 miles at tempo pace. And it's like for ninety nine point nine percent of runners, they can't run like ten miles. That that would be six minute pace basically, yeah. right? That's that's 
that's faster than than what they can run 10 miles at. But no, they're talking about marathon pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be kind of be mindful of that when you see the word tempo used. Hal Higdon, who's another really well-known guy, um, always says that you should start tempo paces or start tempo runs pretty slow, actually. He said you could start them about marathon pace and you should finish them at about 10K pace, mm-hmm. regardless of whether. And so, so he actually sees them more as like progression runs or, or like like it, it, it's, it's actually a variable pace during the actual workout itself. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's a little bit more of a constant pace, and it's that pace that you could do for about 50 minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah, so and I'm just glad, quick caveat there. I'm really glad you brought that up because I mean we've talked about that in previous podcasts, kind of the different terminology between tempo run, lact- lactate threshold, etc. Um, and so it's always important to kind of make sure listeners know, you know, for each you know individual episode what we mean um, when, we, when we mention those terms. Right on. But yeah, I think uh, that mostly wraps up, you know, what we have for for training paces and how to kind of approach training paces and know and knowing how to approach, you know, training efforts for for individual runs. Was there anything else you wanted to add in, or any other stories? Ah, lots of stories, man. Lots of stories. But we'll save those for the remainder of 2019. Good to have you back, Patrick. Glad you're with us. Always good to be here. Thanks, everybody. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.